Gaming and BS, episode 318, coming to you Monday, November 9th, 2020. Welcome to Gaming and BS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. Now, Sean, I got to say, I know not everybody hears it or sees it, but because we're recording, you always step back and you do the, you do the clap, right? And every time you do that, all I can think of is, what is the sound of one nerd clapping? <laughs> that's all I can think of every time you do that. So That is the sound of one, one nerd, nerd clapping. clapping. Yeah. Well, that's for sure. So how the hell are you, man? I'm fantastic, man. I had a, We had a little gamer social on Saturday and had some folks turn out, which I was extremely pleased with seeing. I want to thank, uh, let's see, Zach, Eric, the Mr. Frank House, if better known as Mr. Frank House, Dave, who's Carl, Mirko, VHC, Eileen, Brandon, Dave, did I say Dave twice probably? Ghost, probably. and Laramie. Uh, so, I don't think I, I missed anybody. You know Dave, right? Yeah. Did so he tell throw- you he stopped by? No. Yeah. So so let me let me tell you this. So I went I decided I'm gonna focus on deer hunting this weekend because I've got I'm trying to sell the house, move, whole bunch of shit going on. I got surgery on my neck coming up, like fuck I wanna make sure I get some deer hunting in. I'm gonna do that. I'm not big in the virtual con. Anyway, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. I had one of the shittiest weekends ever deer hunting. Now granted, it's still fun being in a tree, reading a book, it's very nice, but it was like seventy three degrees. It was beautiful. I should have been in I think the the hunting gods and the gaming gods combined and said that guy should be at Virtual Game Hole Con. He will see deer, but they will be ninety yards that way. <laughs> you could have joined us after the, the I big, should have the big I, hunt, right? I should have is it's what right. I should have done instead of uh, feeling sorry for myself. So <sighs> I have been duly chastised by the gods of gaming and hunting. So I shall not do that again. I mean, anyway. I I thought. Eh, we might have, you know, two or three people show up and then, you know, hey, after an hour, hey, I'm going to take off. See you later, Sean. We started at 8 and I got off at 1 a.m. <laughs> yeah. Laramie joined Laramie that's, joined at midnight. That's old school, man. That's where I, that that's that's how we run it at GameholeCon, <laughs> so right? We're going to go over to the Clarion and have a beer or two. We'll probably be out of there by 10. Uh, Three in the morning, we're like, fuck, I'm tired. <laughs> so literally, I was like, oh, I got to get off at midnight. And then Laramie st- stopped by. And then it was all over after that. And then I had to stay for another hour. Uh, I ran my Delta Green game on Thursday night with How'd it go? Mr. Com- Saul's Weedle. Compressed time frame, the whole bit. How'd it go? In Phil and Lynn. And it went okay. Um, it. I thought it went okay. I, Eric was like, hey, thanks. Phil actually wrote me an email, very, uh, you know, extremely uh, gratifying. He was, you know, pleased and complimentary. Um, and Eric was asking on, like, the Discord, is that how Delta Green usually rolls? Because I had to, I had to wrap it up somehow. Like, oh, okay, yeah. Compressed time frame. And it, he felt that. I think he might have thought, like, is this always kind of on this end? Like, it didn't really feel maybe wrapped up or not wrapped up, but a cohesive ending, I guess. But, uh, you know. Hey, man, for me, Cthulhu games can have that feeling. It's almost part of the nihilistic approach to Cthulhu. The universe doesn't care. I think we won. Sure you did. Sure you did, kid. You know, that type of... 
It, did did we get anywhere? Is it worth doing this again? Now, again, not every gamer grooves on that feeling, but I can definitely see where... When I run um, Cthulhu games, I tend to have that type of ending. You won, but you didn't get rid of it type of thing. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. <clears throat> Phil, what's up, Phil? Did you have fun, though, running I did have fun. I thought, I thought it was fun. Uh, it's funny because... Uh, you know, I ran that in a four-hour slot. It went probably four and a half. And, yeah, I think it. I thought it went well. It is a weird one to try to uh, crunch down. And I think that's with any investigative game. Cause you're, and you give them a lot of, you could go this way, this way, this way, this way, and this way. And they did really well because they split it all up, right? Let's split oh, it nice. all up. Right. So they split it all up. And so then you have to kind of hurry through those to some degree. You have to kind of make them fun to a point where you can't drag it out too long. It can't be too short. Yeah, that's a difficult with when you have a compressed time frame and people run off to do different things. Everybody, it's very smash cutty. Wham, 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 wham. You got to rush, not, not rush through it, but you have to keep it moving, as you said, because if you don't, if it were a regular game, like your regular group, you'd be like, okay, we didn't do a lot with you next time, but I promise next week, man, you're your team all day, da da da. And people know that. If you're like, well, it was all Sean next time, it'll be Brett this time, and that type of thing can can be fine, but not so much in a con game. So, yeah, it was good. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I had to wrap it up. They went along with the ending for the most part. Um, like Lynn. I said, hey, you know, here's what happens. And she's like, okay. And so she starts, you know, blowing away the two other guys. And I'm like, perfect. You know, there was no pushback or anything. And I'll tell you, man, good on you for running so. for running Delta Green. I know you and I talked off the mics. You're like, oh, uh, gee, maybe I bit off more than I could chew. But it sounds like it went well. Yeah. yeah it's it's it. not always easy to run something you're not like, I know this game like the back of my hand type of right. thing, you know. And, That's really and cool. then the... The four hours of social were the Sean therapy session, it seemed like, at certain times. Uh, uh, AWOL Trooper and Mr. Frank House uh, trying to get to the bottom of my problems, and along with a couple others. That, Maybe it was good I wasn't there then. You, do, you needed time to talk. I, I ripped on you a little bit. Well, you should have. <laughs> I wasn't there. If I'm was, not there to defend myself, I was telling him, I'm like, time. Brett has two jobs. Two. Because... I think AWOL Trooper was like, you know, Sean, one thing you cannot stop doing is when you guys mess up the date, you can't edit that. That's fantastic. It's like, <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> and I go, speaking of which, I said, Brett has two, two things jobs. to do. Yeah. He's got his jot notes and to show up and talk. Like, I, I do the second one a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I was really good on notes for the last like 15 episodes or something, dude. So I know. Um, well, I told him, I said, that's why he's been Johnny on the spot with the topics kind of being him out so far ahead. Trying. But uh, I think I think I've come to one conclusion, though. Yeah. Yeah. I think that one of the things about uh, who's Carl even says, yeah, we beat up Sean. One of the things I think that is a kind of an issue that is at the root cause, Brett, corporate speak, root cause. You got to get root to cause. root cause, right? A little root cause analysis. You don't know what root cause is. You don't know how to, you know, how to troubleshoot that sucker. That's yeah, right. no, I'm fine with it. Good. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, it just continues. What you got? I think it's, I think it's everybody's afraid of failing. It's failure. No failure. 5E, no failure. Failure is not an option. Failure sucks. S shitty die rolls suck. 
not making a save sucks. Getting hit, not hitting, bad rolls, failure. It's all bad. It's all bad. It's all bad. And everything because of that, it's then it just turns into a game that is not probably something I want to play. So John Wick said something in a Facebook post a while back. He said it before. He is no longer, he says, I am no longer interested in games like that with failure. He wants failure to be basically interesting when you want it to dramatically matter and so on and so forth. However, I've met him. I've talked to him. And when he said stuff like that to me, I'm like, but you don't care about it. He goes, yeah, you game however you want to. He goes, but that's not what I'm designing for. That's not what I find interesting anymore. I'm fine. People are doing it. Have at it. Not my bag. So I think um, this kind of goes into what I want to talk about next week. And I'll bring it up at the end. But there's there's something um, kind of in that session zero type of thing when we talk about failure. And it's not like we talked about losing and some of those other things in fairly recent topics. But some of this comes down to is like, look, I want to run a game where you might not you might not succeed. Your character could die. Um, if the dice suck for you, they just suck for you or whatever the case is. Um, now, Sean, I know on the other hand, digress a bit here before we get into random encounter and such, but you you and I both are really bad at D20s. <laughs> yeah, we both are. So I, I think there's sometimes I'm like, oh, I suck at that. Oh, look at that. I failed. Oh, look at that. I failed again. I just kind of enjoy it <laughs> when I'm playing. It's fine. You know, if I, oh, well, I can't roll tonight. What are you going to do? Moving on. But not everybody likes to do that. Or I don't know if I, I say can do that, but it's, I think, yeah, there's a, there can be a thing where if you don't like to fail, you don't ever want your character to fail. Um, but there's a, where I was going with the John Wick thing is there's a difference between I never want to fail and I promise you I will fail when it's interesting, right? So I think there's, there's some uh, some discussion to be had around that point. It's 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 Where, totally at the root of a lot of I think the problems I'm having specifically with Five E and and Jeff the Jeff Gang and it's not even the Jeff Gang it's like some certain isolated issues in that specific and and D D and D Five E and D twenty based systems unless you roll with them to a point of Oh, you fail, but it's not a bad thing. Or it's narrated on a six, like a scale of some kind or a degree of failure, then it's okay. But it's not the way it's set up to be. And therefore, nobody wants to have that happen. And if you don't want that to happen, then you are incentivized by power gaming, optimizing, you know, getting the getting the the, the thing. Um, to help you not fail. I can't fail. How many people told you playing the wrong game, I'm assuming? No, not it was it wasn't that like that as much. I mean, there are folks obviously that have opinions that say, hey, you know, you might want to try this game or that game. But no, I was wondering it, on Saturday how many people went, Jesus, no, play a different game. No? Okay, it, cool. It, it didn't go get to that point because it wasn't until I it dawned on me that that's the problem. Like I came to that epiphany on my own and said, I know what the issue is. I, the issue is nobody wants to fail. Whereas if you're playing PBTA, you know, it's kind of the fail forward, right? So it's a mantra. It's a philosophy. It's part of the rules and part of the game. F Fantasy flight games, Star Wars, Genesis system, like it's okay to have setbacks and failures with an advantage and all this other stuff. And so I know I could say to myself, I am playing the wrong game. 
So I'm going to play Star Wars, man. I'm going to run a Star Wars game. No, because wait, hang on. You're playing the wrong game. No, you're running the wrong game for your players. Fair. Is what you're saying. Sure. Because you would play in a game where failure happens the way you're talking about it. You know, that's a tricky question. Because if I... Not, so yeah. one of the things I want... To, so if we ever get to the topic today, what I want to talk about next time when I'm back is... Because I'm out next week, folks. But we on 319, what I want to talk about was some of the things I'm learning or remembering as I'm running a, an AD&D first edition campaign. Because mm. it ties into some of what you and I have been talking about on and off the mics, bits and pieces here. And uh, kind of that, yeah, but doesn't this give me a plus to hit? No. Oh, but how about this? No. Oh, so I just missed. Uh-huh. And the, the the dealing with the failure and so forth and, and getting and enjoying it or whatever the case is. So anyway, I yeah, it's kind of... I, th- I, I want to talk about this more next time we get back together, man. Yeah, I'm not, I'm okay if it's like, hey, we're playing OSC and it's this. Like, there's no skills and blah, blah, blah. But the, it's narrative, the people but you're playing with are not, is no. what you're telling me. I And they may not even know it. Like, I no. don't think that's front of mind. I think it's just inherently built into, we play D&D and this is the way you play it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, great. But it's, it's not a catastrophe. Like, oh, one thing that came up is, you know, and I mentioned this before, Brett, I want these guys, I implemented lingering injuries. You know, they don't want lingering injuries. Why, Brett? Why do not? Why does lingering injuries turn them off? Because it makes things difficult. It's failure. I yeah. failed. Now I don't have a hand. Now I can't, I can't wield my cool sword all the time. And now I'm minus two and it sucks because why? What does that do? Failure. It, it, it goes to failure. It yeah. gives them a higher chance of failure. It's all down to failure. No, no, no. We're heroes. We can't fail. Failure's not an option. So when we talk about losing in and uh, losing in 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 RPGs, I'm like, yes, losing in in RPGs is failing. Yeah, failing, failing, failing. And then you get somebody that's like, Dungeon World, you know, powered by the apocalypse, and it's like, no, 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 no. Failure's not bad. Fail forward. Fail forward. Fail well, forward. That, we we well, embrace it. Well, those games like that are built so that failure is fun. So in a different game, if it's binary, either succeed or fail, failure's not, by the mechanics, fun. Right. There's nothing narratively interesting about the fact that you swing and a miss. Right. In a group of eight people, it came around you, you rolled your single d20, you rolled a two. Next. The other guy in front of you, and then the gal after you, they rolled 17s and higher, and they got to do all their cool stuff because they hit. You had cool stuff to do, but you rolled a two, you're fucked. And that is not always fun. Right. Sometimes. Especially if your dice are bad that night. Right. Yeah. Play Diablo. Play Diablo. You want to want, hey, you want to play Star Wars? Like, if you want Star Wars, like, oh my God, Han Solo, they put him in freaking Carbonite, man. Can you you imagine how many people, I I know when that happened, when I was a kid, I was like, holy shit. What the hell is going to happen to Han Solo, man? Yeah. But oh my that, God! I left the movie theater going. I gotta wait to see this for another four years or something. I was like, "Oh, maybe no way. is there another movie? What's going to happen? Is there another one? Yeah, I don't <coughs> know. What if it doesn't make enough money? What if it won't happen? But and why do people love it? Because it was crazy and it, it, there was failure all the time. They were odds that stacked against them. I mean, that I just yeah, man. Well, it, some of that too comes down to holy shit. We're way off topic here already. It's but all right. uh, some of this goes to um, what are you emulating? 
if you're um, so if you're if you're doing a writer's table thing, you sat down and said there's gonna be this scene. We're gonna fucking freeze Han Solo, man. And everyone, yeah, yeah. cliffhanger, those poor bastards gotta wait four years and we're gonna come back and boom, we're gonna drop on them that Princess Leia saves his ass. Sweet. I didn't even know the person with the thermal detonator was Princess Leia when I was a kid watching. Oh my god, who's they're they're taking Han Solo out of there? What's what's going on? Pulls the helmet off. Oh my god, someone who loves you. Oh, hooray, hooray, this is neat. I didn't even know he had Chewbacca captured. You know, oh my god, he's got the oh this crazy shit's happening. Spoilers. Um <laughs> But when it's being developed at the table, when the truth is on the table and you're rolling the dice and things are going and happening, that's where you're like, oh, but I had this cool idea of my character doing whatever. And it, none of that can happen now because they failed to save the prince. They didn't get the star jewel. They fell off this tower instead of climbing it or they got eaten by the dragon. Oh, and what some folks don't want to do is be is not end up being the hero or being end up end up being the one who emulates the failure. Because John McClane doesn't die in any diehard movie. You're like, oh my god, what's he gonna do? Ah, he won again. Well, no shit, he won again. It's his name's on the fucking title, right? He's not gonna die. It's you know Bruce Willis isn't gonna die in those movies. You know that. You get it. But. If you're trying to emulate that, then yeah, it's always fail forward, fail forward, fail forward. If you're trying to say, well, let's just see what happens, which is a very OSR type of thing to do. Let's see what happens. I died. Yep. My first level uh, wizard got killed by a kobold. Uh-huh. Well, my other guy made it to sixth level. He survived because of blah, blah, blah. Yep. That's a cool story, too. You know, it, it's what are you trying to emulate, right? I think that plays a lot into it. And... If you're trying to emulate something where you're John McClane, yeah, you don't want that story to end until you, as John McClane, say, this movie's over. I get I get it. I mean... But that's not I, what you're looking for, though. No, not necessarily. And I'm I'm thinking Star Wars because, first of all, there's, there's failure as part of the mechanics and part of the narrative and part of the dice. And in Star Wars, though you can die, it isn't, it isn't really... It's kind of it's, it's kind of its own secret, I think. Like well, you also don't have to house rule anything, right? So we've talked about right. this before. If you want to, I I could look at you as a habit of Pasqual. I could do that with D and D. Well, no shit, Brad. Of course you can, Jackass. Right. I sure. could do whatever you want with whatever you want. There's no gaming police unless you're wearing our shirt, and then you can arrest me. Um, which sucks to think Stefan Dragonspawn has one of those shirts, and I do not want him to arrest me. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you do. I maybe know. I do. Who knows? Hey, anyway, point being, <laughs> um, love you, Stefan. Anyway, the point is, is that in a game like that where you can fail, but then you as the game master have the tools to like, all right, you're going to fail, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be this interesting, cool thing, as opposed to saying, fine, I'll make your D&D more like by adding that type of thing, right? Because the power gaming, to my knowledge... In a lot of those other types of systems, the the people I talk about talk to who are big into PBTA or the other games like that, even Cipher system and so forth, there's not a lot of power gaming in there because they're grooving on the fact that there's GM intrusions, that there's fail forward or uh, consequences and and you know success with consequences and all that shit. So all that shit is what makes that those things interesting. So it's almost like, hey, get the Genesis system or whatever and play a fantasy game. 
which is funny sometimes because you'll get folks like, oh, yeah, well, that sounds great. Well, let's play this game. Well, then why don't we just play D&D? Dude, we just went over that. <laughs> we just explained to you why you should play this other thing because it's totally. Yeah. So there could be. It's funny. People have a nostalgia sometimes for D&D. And then when they get into it, they realize what they really want is something different. And yes, you can house rule yourself into something different, or you could just say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to play Zweihander. You know what we're going to do? We're going to play Dungeon World because why the fuck not? That's what you all really want. Let's try this. You know? And sometimes I think people, you and I have talked about this on and off the mics a little bit, is when people are hung up about a new system, a new mechanics or something along those lines. Oh, I don't want to learn. Oh, and part of that, like from the... How do I do the D&D hangover, if you will? Yeah, but I want to be a paladin half-elf like I did over there. Uh, okay, I guess. You know, it, it, you can get some of those D&D tropes that people want to carry with them to other games, which can make it kind of annoying sometimes. But, uh, huh. Interesting, man. Failure. That's the problem. Hashtag nailed it. Hashtag nailed it. I'm sorry I wasn't there for your for your awakening there, but I uh, I appreciate you uh, coming okay. clean on okay. coming clean here for me. Oh, yeah, man. I uh, I feel you feel better. I feel at peace now. I, I kind of I've kind of got a little, a little zen going. A little zen yeah. going on. Yeah. All right then. So you want to start? Let's start off with a random encounters and see how we <laughs> go from there. We should probably get in there. God. See if we get to the main topic at all today. Now, next next episode might be what I wanted to talk about. Who segment knows? of the show where he fields some of the folks in the chat, emails, voicemails, comments from social media. Got a voicemail from Chris Shorb. So we had two. One was him calling in because we we said, "Hey man, you can't leave us without like, hey, we're pl- I'm playing games that don't require planning." And one, of, I think he he mentioned Dungeon World, so PBTA. Oh, nice. Um, so we'll play this one. I think is uh, maybe a little different. Brett and Sean, it's Chris Shorb calling again about the uh, GM screen episode. This time I'm responding to the main topic, GM screen. One question that I didn't hear you guys address, but that I'm very curious to get your take on is when is a GM screen necessary? You guys kind of started from the assumption that the GM screen was pretty much, yeah, of course you were going to have a GM screen, but I know in some games, I don't think a GM screen is necessary. Um, I'll tell you my opinion. If you have some maps, and you want to provide your players a sense of surprise around those maps, then, or maybe you have, uh, you know, an encounter where if they saw the image out of the corner of their eye that would kind of reveal all the details of the encounter, then, yeah, I guess a GM screen that blocks your player's view of what you have in front of you, maybe that's necessary if, you know, if you want to have that element of surprise. Um but uh, I think there are some games where you don't have a map or, you know, you're working a lot more collaboratively with your players. And if they, you know, that the sense of surprise is not, is not exactly what you're looking for, that maybe you guys are working together and or that they're in a place where they can, you know, they see the map, but they know their characters don't know anything about the map. And so they can play as if. So, um yeah, I'm wondering what you, that's kind of my opinion of when a GM screen is uh, useful, is necessary, but uh, I'd be interested in hearing you guys' perspective as well. All right, thanks. Take care. Bye. 
That's a damn good question, man. Well, so it gets better. Because I I didn't, um, I don't use one in uh, my World of Darkness game I'm running, my weird ass game I'm running at all. Don't need one there. And I'm going to have run like Amber Diceless and stuff. No. You know. Yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. I think it comes. Hmm. It's like, what am I trying to hide? Almost like what, I, like he said, like, do you have stuff you want to hide from the players? Is that when it's necessary? I don't know. That's well, an interesting. Re- point. Read the next. The read. Read the. You want me to read the next one? Or you want to read the next one? But you, you read. I already All talked right. enough. Because this, this goes into a little bit more with with Chris, so it kind of you know tops onto it. All right. Cool. So Awal Awal Trooper commented on this. He told me he was uh, something bad right into you guys about GM screens. Nice. Yeah, so Ewald Trooper, episode 317, Game uh, game Master Screen today. I'm amazed that in your whole conversation about GM screens and their purpose, you both overlooked what I consider to be the only important factor when implementing a screen, the mystery. There we go. There we go. There you go. Uh, Yes, there are millions of styles and techniques to run the thousands of games out there. So as a cinematic traditionalist of the old school games, a huge aspect of uh, for me when setting the tone at the table is the mysticism and wonder of my player's experience. I gotta, I gotta put some more emotion in this email. I like it. You're yeah. doing well. Uh, setting up a screen is uh, not just a visual aspect of the game, nor just a quick reference of tedious rules, but it's a powerful and effective mental cue for the players that not all RPGs benefit from. The game master, in my definition... Must be the person in charge, confident, intimidating, and mysterious. That's Sean. Sean, Sean, and Sean. I like it. (laughs) Keep going. What obstacles lie in wait? What terrors will step out of the shadows? No one can map the depths of an expert GM's mind, and a screen keeps that mysticism alive. It keeps players wondering what they'll encounter, what could possibly be planned in the heart of the volcano. Nice. And on a more subtle note, it establishes two camps. Everyone on the other side of the screen is suddenly silently aware that it's not five people around the table playing a game. It's four players and the game master. Suddenly it sets an asymmetric dynamic. It establishes a level of authority that doesn't need to be aggressive or patronizing. Doesn't need to be adversarial, but it does need to set up the idea that the players aren't always working with the game master, but must overcome the challenges that the GM presents together as a squad. Interesting. Interesting. I like this. Interesting perspective. I'm not of the GM versus the players mentality, but I do think for some games, it's important that my players know that the role I embody is not that of friend, but as judge specifically to enhance their experience. And, Brett, there's absolutely something to be said about building your own screen. The very first screen I ever built was a castle face that had a gate. I could slide up and down and push minis or props out to my players. It was goofy and dumb, but wildly effective. They would all hold their breath excitedly as they heard the cheap cardboard latticed gate slide upward to reveal the new (laughs) monster or sack of coins or, or coins they could open. My newer one is simple, sturdy, and elegant enough for my taste. But most importantly, it's mine. That I built, and players can really feel that. 
I keep maybe three sheets of rules glued to the beige folder used for storing random handouts or maps, and the current map sticky-tacked to one arm. Beyond that, I have a single notebook and a few props or minis, but the, over, but the purpose is always the same, the mystery. The potential of any adventure in the multiverse just waiting to be discovered. Gygax and Arneson often hid themselves entirely not because they wanted to, a wall of rules to reference, but to separate their individual human qualities from the faceless and impartial expectations of being a game judge. While a full GM shield does something peak, does sometimes pique my interest in a purely scientific or exhibitionist capacity, you can't deny that beyond the absurdity of it all, with a full screen, players are no longer listening to their buddy, AWOL, the GM, who may smirk at a low-hanging innuendo that slips out or break his train of thought when making eye t- contact with that person who made the hairy dwarf joke, but instead can find themselves fully immersed in the room description being laid before them. They can look at each other and develop plans rather than look to the GM for assistance expectantly. They can't read my face and spoil the surprise of the inevitable trap they're tiptoeing towards. This, in conjunction with tension setting, secret die rolls or props that seem to materialize before their eyes, can help build the ultimate player immersion and experience. And that's what it's all about. Everyone plays differently, but it's important to recognize that the screen, while not as impactful during the virtual games of this pandemic, has a rich history that goes beyond a quick reference wall of rules. Godspeed, boys. Nice. Yeah, well, Trooper's got some interesting points there. Gygax and Arneson doing the complete body hiding, like literally their entire selves sitting behind a, um, filing cabinets and stuff to hide themselves. Interesting. I don't know if I could do it. Um, that's not my, my GM style. I think the... What I'm seeing from AWOL GM, the way we're describing this here, this goes to kind of the trust discussion we had a while back around trusting your players, trust your GM. Um, insofar as, you know, what whatever's going on, if you were to hide everything, I couldn't see you, couldn't read your face, couldn't talk to you in person or whatever. If everything was hidden all the time, everything was super secret, some people aren't going to groove on that too much, right? That's not everybody's bag. And as he says at the very end, everyone plays differently. Right. Absolutely. I like the um I like the I like what he writes down here. It's interesting. I don't know if I buy all of it as far as me, but I like the fact that Able Trooper has enough to say this is how he likes to run and why. It's pretty well described. I like it. That's kinda cool. What do you think about all that, Sean? I think it's uh well thought out. I like yeah. I like the I do understand and it's eloquently put and I can appreciate uh that perspective for sure. Absolutely. There's definitely something cool about the mystery. I'm doing I'm keeping the mystery and what the hell is that high in my crazy ass world of darkness game. The guys have received they go to a they go to this weird tavern, <clears throat> see all sorts of craziness going on. The you know, waitstaff stops by and says, drops her bill off, says, you take care of this whenever you're ready. They pick up a tarot card. Like, what does this mean? Waitstaff is gone. They don't know what that means. What's going on here? What's this about? Um, when I'm handing out the props or the weird things that they're seeing, images on screens and stuff, they're like, I don't get this. What the hell? It's all like out of the blue. 
and it is very mysterious. And every time I put something down there, ooh, what is that? Conversation stops. They, everybody wants to see it. And um, if it's hidden and then you display it, there's some, so there's some serious power in that. There can be. It's like, because when you pull something out, or you say, wham, you drop the mini on the table. Everyone goes, ooh, that's what Orcus looks like. It's a big deal. That's the cool stuff. That, the thing that rings with me specifically about that write-up is the uh, the paying attention to just the voice if you're kind of, you know, he was talking about Arneson and Gygax behind in the filing cabinet or whatever, not being able to give away the poker face about the trap that they're about to step on, reading the body language of the DM, uh, having that. I don't think a, I don't think a DM screen is going to prevent that entirely. However, play an online game where your camera doesn't work or somebody else's camera doesn't work. I like, have sorry. Played, I have played games with just Skype before Skype had video. And I'll tell you what, man, you really are engaged because you have to listen to everybody that's talking. And if you don't, it is very obvious you are not. When I ran Streets of Avalon, we had some, this is before Zoom, and we were using Roll20 and uh, Audacity to record. And a couple of the... The video was fucked up. It was causing issues. So a couple of people said, screw it. And they just turned the video off. And without video, you have to listen. There's no way around it. When Tom Flanagan was talking and his video was not on, you had to pay clear attention to what he was saying because there was no, no lip reading, no, any, no visual cues. It really tunes your ears in. It's like an, like an audiobook almost in a way. No, there's there's something, the descriptive power of the stuff that AWOL's talking about there, pretty cool. Like I said, I don't know of every component in their AWOLs for me, but message received, I like the, the um, there is definitely, with the screen, to what Chris Schwab said, you know, hiding stuff. And hiding it not in the interest of, ha ah, ha, I can't see it, but it is waiting to reveal, right? It's hidden so I can go surprise type of thing, you know? It's the rabbit in the hat. I want to. I want to have the hat, so I pull the rabbit out of it. You know, it's hey, that, that's cool. That's neat. I like that. Ready, man? Yeah, go ahead, man. All, All right. First time, Jason writes in about cursed items. Hey, BSers, wanted to drop a line and let you know how much I've enjoyed your show. I've been listening for several months now. I've been binging on old episodes. Oh, you poor bugger! You must be bored out of your mind, Jason. But thank you. Thank you very much. The last pod being only seems to have them back as far as one seventeen, so I couldn't start at the beginning. Sorry, Sean. Uh, to make it up to you, I uh, disagree with Brett on something. Oh, Uh-oh. okay. Well, all right. Let's see what happens here. And now, now regret saying nice things to you, Jason. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure, sure it'll be, be fine. fine. I listened to the cursed items episode last night. Found myself shaking my head as Brett talked of items with downsides, basically being cursed. Now, everyone's mileage will vary, but for me, part of being cursed is the inability to get rid of said item. Otherwise, you're just weighing pros and cons. And second edition is a two-handed cursed sword because you can't use a shield with it. Because its weapon speed makes it slower. Yes, we used weapon speed. And we loved it. Oh, my God, Jason. Um, No shield and slow are downsides, but I wouldn't call them curses. Otherwise, a great episode. One that made me wonder if I've made a mistake by not using cursed items more in my games. I also want to thank Sean for bringing Mothership to my attention. I haven't had any chance to play it yet, but it's up as a possible next campaign once my current streaming Vampire Chronicles ends in December. You can watch us at... He's got his Twitch logo out there, so we'll share that out in the show notes. Anyway, great show, and thanks for helping a third shift worker get <laughs> get past the time at work. The GM, some call Jason. Oh, he's got a PS. May I suggest a Kickstarter for Die Roll? Of course you may. 
And I'll, I'll talk about it in die roll. He's got it in here. We'll read it in die roll. So I would say, Jason, you're damn right. That was a bad call on my part to say, you know, a negative being the only being a curse because it doesn't take into effect um, not just being negative too, magically negative too, but the it's stuck to your hand. That's more of the curse versus because, yeah, there's a shitload of stuff that is negative. Well, I'm wearing super heavy armor and you have a penalty to swim checks or spell checks. Is that cursed armor? No, it's just bulky or whatever the case is. So, yeah, good call, man. You caught me there. That was that was dumb on my part. So there That's you go, Sean. That's pretty big of you, Brett. That's very big of you. I'm a big fat guy. What do you expect? Oh, no, I'm, come I'm, on, I'm no. kidding. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. No, but, no. no, that was cool. I'm glad. That's It's an interesting piece, right? Because we'll sometimes, and this goes to your failure piece almost at the beginning of this whole shtick here, right? Where something, something, with, something with a downside being a curse or being, oh my God, I can't have. How can I power game my way past it type of thing? It almost ties into that a little bit, but... Yeah, I like I like this, Jason. That was a that was a good call out. Thank you. That's that's good stuff. Yeah, thanks, Jason. All right, Michael Dinos on uh, cursed items. Hopefully, my audio does not go out. Now I have to edit that piece out. Uh, good episode as usual. I like the idea of making cursed items do other weird things beyond the basic curse, particularly particularly to add that gothic flavor for Strahd. This could be changed slightly for any campaign, really. Are you running in Chult? Maybe the item makes you sweat more or less. Icewind Dale, you can never actually get warm, and you are always uncomfortably chilly. So you're my, you're my wife anytime the temperature dips under 70. <laughs> yeah, same with mine. <laughs> that's, yeah. all, that's funny. So I I think, sorry, go, go ahead, Brad. No, I, just, I, I like that. He's uncomfortable and you can't quite and it's really annoying that that type of a curse i think is really is pretty cool sean that ties to what we've talked about for your strad campaign that type of thing yeah it's naggingly annoying yeah right can you live like that yeah but i don't like it <laughs> it's uncomfortable all the time carry on i like it i think special mention must go to the only cursed item that party should actually want the Armor of Arrow Attraction. Okay. I, I remember that. So do I. Why would I you want it? I had a DM it? many, many years ago jokingly give this to our cleric, but it quickly became the most popular item in the group. Oh, I have an idea what he, where he's going with keep, this. Keep going. I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. I was especially grateful for it as I played a wizard at the time with the absolutely incredible wizard hit points. After a while, the DM tried to take it back and convince the cleric to abandon the armor, but the cleric refused, citing the DM's formerly favorite line, you should have thought about it before you did it. <laughs> so basically, he's like, I'll take all the arrow shots because I got enough hit points. You can't hit the wizard. Or you just cast shield, right? <laughs> yeah. So the wizard's <laughs> like, hee, 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 running across the battlefield. All the arrows are going after the cleric. Who's like, I got this. It's fine. Ding, 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 ding. See the... Uh, armor of arrow attraction is not meant to be worn, right? You could <laughs> that's awesome. Throw it over there. Like what is what happens? Yeah. If Does you it have throw to be it worn for it to be cursed? No, it's just cursed. All right, I'll throw it over there. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like a hedgehog when you're done. Neat. <laughs> Stupid kobolds. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. That was a good laugh and smart, smart play. All right, so this one's from Edwin. Uh, I'm gonna want. 
everybody to listen to this one because he's going to put this out. He's putting this out to the community. <coughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, everybody listen. Okay. Everybody should be listening to everybody else, his emails and stuff like that. But Edwin is putting this one out for people to say, hey. All right. Edwin Nagy writes in a losing in RPGs and a question for BSers. Howdy, y'all. Winning and losing. I like y'all's discussion after Kojo's comment that you can't lose. Some of it comes down to whether losing is bad in one's mind. I can lose a game while having fun, and I can win a game without having fun. I don't see them as related. I agree with Sean. Oh, my. That could be debated ad infinitum. Uh, but my own take is that if there is, are in-game goals, then one can achieve them to a greater or lesser degree. If a person wants to call that winning or losing, who am I to stop them? And if you're a person that can't have fun while losing or winning, then choose your games carefully. But I have something more important to talk, ask about. A friend of mine was asking me about jamming and scenario creation advice. One of these things he asked me has got me thinking about a bunch, thinking a bunch over the last few days. I thought I'd ask you and the BSers to chime in. He told me, I'm interested in resources that will help me learn the meta language of tabletop RPG game design. I recommended this podcast, of course, but the meta language of game design, and I clarified with him that he means scenario rather than game system. How do we talk about scenarios and scenario creation? Hmm. I had a few thoughts, of course, but I don't want to leave you empty-handed here. Character-centered versus story-centered versus tactically-centered versus genre, horror, mystery, heroic fantasy, space opera, etc. Primary activity, investigation, combat, exploration, etc. Competitive versus cooperative. I'm thinking here about RPs with PvP at one extreme, varied goals somewhere in the middle, and group quests at the other. Settings. Urban, rural, dungeon, outer space. Fixed cast versus variable cast. West March is another drop-in or drop-out type games. Player agency level in world building. Not sure if there's even a good term for this. What I think that this question comes down to is one of graphing. How many <laughs> axes? No, not the weapon, you dingbat. Um, <laughs> would you need, oh, axes. Um, would you need in order to plot scenarios on them in a meaningful way? It seems like, well, a really good graph, setting expectations would be simplified, except that we don't all mean the same thing when we say Western space punk now, do we? Anyway, if you'd like to ramble about this at some point, I'd be sure to point him to the appropriate episode. Otherwise, I'm having him start at episode one, so it'll be a while. Cheers, Edwin. Huh, that is interesting. We have some of our uh, most favorite or perhaps least favorite, depending on which listener you happen to be, uh, rambles are around the fact that it's kind of the old, um, I'm a third level wizard on the fourth level of the dungeon casting a second level spell. Yeah. <laughs> what? I'm third level, but I don't have access to third level spells? No. Why? Oh, God, that never made sense to yeah, me it was when like I was the growing weirdest, up. I'm like, it was I the do weirdest not get thing. this at all. It was a weird thing. It was kind of like um, taxes and being audited. You're like, you know what? It just is. I'm going to go with it. I'm just going to deal. God. Yeah, I think they kept me up at night when I was a kid. Like, what? I'm a How? second level. Why can't I do that? I have user, to be able to I, do that. Yeah, but I can't cast second the, the level spells. No, no, that's not how it works, Sean. But the inconsistency in the the terminology is, I, I think, almost indicative of the fact that a hobby is still such art. It's such more art, almost in a way. It's an art form. You know, it's not. I don't use nine sixteenths. I don't use like English or metric wrenches and so on to build the RPG. I use language and language is messy, 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 messy. Well, the English language is messier. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. English language. Cause like, I think there's a quote, the English language go, um, 
knocks out other languages and dark alleys and goes through their pockets, looks for loose grammar. It's just, you know, we beg, borrow, and steal from stuff. Wow. I, I think it it would be interesting. It's funny to me. There are a number of people. Robin Law is, is famous for trying to do this. Um, instead of like D20, he says F20. Like, why? This is what he calls it. Instead of NPC, DNPC. There are certain games and designers and other folks out there who are tr- who try to use a term to codify or create a listing or a dictionary or something. It's fucking hard because some of it doesn't matter, doesn't make sense. And as soon as you're like, okay, yeah, it's a DMPC or a GMPC, that totally makes sense until you get to a game where there is no game master. Like, okay, it's still a role-playing game though, right? Well, that defends you to find role-playing. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but this is this is interesting. You know what it is? What's that? Wankery. <laughs> it is a bit of wankery, yes, sir. Alex, <laughs> what is wankery? <laughs> R.I.P. Trebek. Yeah. Oh, he just died too. Good call out. He um, did. Yeah. I, I think the interested resource that'll help me learn the meta language. Wow, it's kind of it's kind of goofy in a way because every podcast, every gaming podcast you run into is going to have their own. You can read Robin's Laws for Good Game Mastery, and though that was written ages ago, you can read. The uh, unintentional trilogy that came out from um, Phil Vecchione, um, you know, the uh, engine publishing, Gnomes Do Stuff that he did, Never Unprepared, and so on. Read, um, uh, grab a, a White Wolf book from back in the day. They had glossaries of terms like, hey, this is what an NPC is, this is what this part, this is what this means, and so on. A lot of books have those, some don't at all. They have like lists, they have like smatterings throughout. Ugh. I don't know. I almost think that the best way would be to say, do you have a scenario, a game system you want to design a scenario for? Go learn that meta language. Because I almost want to say that every that every gaming system has its own meta language. DCC has a meta language that is not in um, Call of Cthulhu. That is not in Call of Cthulhu has a meta language that is not in, you know, Power of the Apocalypse, which is not in Fate, which is not. Now, certain things are similar, but it feels like that might be a better place to start. I don't know. I don't know. Well, that that may be opening a pretty freaking big can of worms. But Edwin did put, put blah, 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 used words. I'm just stuttering here. Uh, he posed that question to everybody, so. Don't just let us mess this up, people. Get in here. Get dirty. Tell us what you think. Oh. Thanks, Edwin. All right. Thanks, Edwin. That's interesting. That is interesting. I'm sticking to my guns right now until someone corrects me or gives me a reason not to. I think the best way is to start with a game system and use its meta context. I think that's what I would say. Anyway, carry on. What do we got? So Blake wrote in, and he's got a quiz for you, Brett. What? Yeah. He's putting you on the spot again. Are you ready? All right. Play along, ladies and gentlemen, in the chat if you're listening or if you're riding in your car. He must know what you're up to, so I would imagine he's not. He's trying to just kind of gauge this, so it's not to make you look too ridiculous. I don't know any of these answers. Uh, What is notable about the faces of Shilba and Ningobol? Ningobol. Shilba of the eyeless face and Ningobol of the seven eyes. 
Who? Shilba, they're both from Fafnir Greymouser. Shilba has no face. Like her, uh, it, her, she, they. The cowl is always pulled forward. You can't see the hands, the feet, or the face is always in the darkest of shadows. Ningo Bull supposedly has at least seven eyes. <clears throat> Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says that. Eyeless face and seven eyes. Yes. What generation of vampires are antediluvians? The antediluvians are either one or two. I want to say they're second. I uh, think. I could be off. It's been a while. He, he says it's the third. Third. Ah, third. That would make sense. That would probably make third. sense. Damn it. What is one of the more well-known names for Igwilv? Oh, Jesus. That's a Greyhawk question. I should know this. I was just reading... Shit. I don't know. Tasha? Oh, really? I don't know. I'll have to look that up. Tasha's hideous laughter type of thing. Huh. I suppose, right? Isn't that okay. the one that's coming out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tasha's cauldron of everything. I did pre-order that too, by the way. Did you? Did you yeah. get the limited print or the no, uh, no, alternate no. cover? No, I uh, spent my wad on uh, the... Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> on the Icewind Dale. Yes, uh, what sort of thing is in the darkness? The darkness. I have to know the. In the darkness, what? There's, that term goes to so many properties. I don't I know. know. I don't uh, know. That it's one pretty I'm, vague. Yeah, I'm going to beg off on that one. I don't know what says property. Whisperer or Gru. Oh, for God's sakes! Okay. Um. All right. That is. Zork. Is Zork where you get eaten by Gru? Yes. Yes. Is Zork. It is okay, Zork. But I wouldn't have got that. I no. What is the name of the other powerful sword in the Elric saga, not Stormbringer? Oh, that is Mornblade. Yeah, Mornblade. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what armor restrictions do uh, Essence users have in Rollmaster? I believe they cannot wear metal armor. I think they have to be natural or leather. He, he has no metal. Yep. And lastly, what kind of special shoes could you get in Avalon? Iron. <laughs> you get that wrong, man. You're <laughs> never, be... ever, ever live it down. <laughs> Correct. Ah, very good, not bad. Brad. Not bad. Not ah, bad. Not bad. Not bad at all. Thanks, Blake. That was fun. Much useless crap in my head. Just keep bringing them to Brett. Don't ask me because I don't know any of that crap. <laughs> I don't remember any of that crap. I was on uh, Mythwits one time, and they're like, "Oh, hey, Sean, take the D and D quiz." I'm like, "All right." And they gave me some softballs. I'm like, Clunk. "I don't know." Swoosh. Like, what kind of D&D player are you? Like, a bad one? that one? doesn't, re- like, memorize everything? All right, let's get into the main topic, shall we? Yeah. All right. All right, Brett. All right, so Amazing Alex brought this up on the forums a while back, and it's been in the hopper for a bit, and I kept pushing around. I'm like, goddamn, time for a revisit. And I want to bring this one up after we talked about Game Master screens, so I juggled it out to here. So, Amazing Alex said, do you all only do general background noises, etc., tavern mumble, jumble, or cavern dripping, or do you do action-specific noises, etc., opening doors, jingle of coins? Do you ever feel like noises take away from the focus of the game? So what we're talking about here is audio components in your game. We've talked about soundtracks, other things in the past. And I thought, you know... Yeah. (laughs) There it is. Those? Those. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, you know, 
the reason, one of the other reasons I want to bring this up, like, oh, this is cool, because Sean was talking about um, the new virtual tabletop that you're using. What's it called again, Sean? Foundry. Foundry. And we were talking off the mics last episode about one of the cool pieces of it. And I thought, ooh, I'm going to make Sean talk about it here. Because we talked about the GM screens anyway. I'll come back to that for a second. In the age of online gaming, you know, and in online gaming now, virtual tabletop games have some either ready built-in sound effects, the ability to add them. Roll 20, you can, there are some built-in sounds. You can play music through it, background effects and so forth. I've talked to them past where in person, I use um, DMDJ as a tool um, through my buddy's system or through a speaker set. You drop the beat. I dropped the beat, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> DMDJ. That's what's called DMDJ. What would be your DMDJ uh, name? I have no idea, dude. I'm not even pretend. Anyway, point Brett, is. Brett's. <laughs> hey, what would Brett's <laughs> Don't do DMDJ name be? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah that, that's great. That's wonderful. <laughs> but it's. DMDJB. DMDJB. Wow, that's, hey. that's a, lot of, a lot of random letters all jumbled together. <laughs> um, anyway. So, Sean, are you you? So let's let's just talk about this. In the age of the virtual tabletop, the online gaming scene, my buddy Alpha is using. Um, we're using Roll Twenty for his Undermountain game, Descent into Undermountain. We're having a good time with it, or Dungeon Mad, which I believe it's called now, and uh, having fun. And he plays some, depending on what room we go into or section of it. There might be cave noises or uh, mining sounds or. You know, dripping water, blah, blah, blah. He's, he's doing that in a very general way. But you talked about some of the cool things that Foundry can do. And are you using that stuff or are you thinking about using it? I'm thinking about using it. And the only reason I'm thinking about it is because I don't know how it taxes the system I'm running it on. Let's talk about what we're, let's get into detail. So what you're talking about here, or I should say what we're talking about, is Foundry has a cool feature where you can pre-program the map or sections of it. So you could say, this is the fireplace. And within 30 feet of the fireplace, if you walk up to it, you'll hear fire crackling. If you walk away from it, you can't hear it anymore. If you get close enough to the tavern, you'll hear this noise. If you walk far enough away, you won't hear it. Almost that video game AI type of thing. I'm assuming it's going to take a bit for you to program, like plant, plant, the, uh, plant the sound effects. But it seems like it might be time well spent. It could be kind of fun. It would be. It sounds like it. And I don't and it's not the only platform that does it. Somebody mm -hmm. last week I think mentioned that Astral or I think maybe Astral or uh Fantasy Grounds may do that as well. And I don't I, I'm not familiar I'm with not either sure. of those. I've only dabbled barely with Roll Twenty in this space. Yeah. But I thought I've gotten good I've gotten good use out of audio cues in person in my weird ass world of darkness game i'm running when i i had a projector i wanted to simulate a projector going on so i had a slideshow up on a tv screen and every time i hit the forward key on my laptop it played a sound it sounded like an old school projector whirring and and the guys they're like oh my god that's awesome they just thought that was amazing um so that type of thing that extra bit of immersion that kind of I'm, I'm really there there's something happening so have you done it yet i should go back to your you haven't you haven't done it yet i haven't i haven't uh i started there's a couple things you have to do okay so i started the process but i haven't rolled it out to the player characters 
And the big reason is I'm afraid that if I do it on Amazon Web Services that all that's going to tax me and then I'm going to end up with like a $50 bill at the end of the game session. That's why you got to turn it into pro GM so you can charge people for your AWS services. I have to figure it out. <laughs> so you have to, first of all, you have to have the sound. So you have to hunt down the sound somewhere, either record it yourself, typically buy it, whatever. And then when you have it, you probably got to make sure it's in the right format. So it's probably an MP3, so it's not large. It's not a WAV file. And then once you have that, you upload it, upload it to Foundry. And I think you can upload it or you may be able to dynamically reference it. I'm not sure. Regardless, you upload the sound. So you add a playlist. And then once that's in there, so you can, you can the, the, the component is playlist. Boom. And you could add multiple playlists. And as you move uh, sound files under each playlist, you can determine how that, how that playlist works. So you could play each sound sequentially, right? As it's down the playlist, boom, 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 boom. You could do it. I think there's a shuffle option. There is also the ability to do it um, overall, like through to everybody. You broadcast it, right? So that would be the Roll20 way. You hit play and everybody can hear it no matter what. And it plays in the background or whatever. Or you can specify it on a specific range or or radius and that is done by plopping an item on the map and then on that you can pick what playlist and what song or i you know audio from that playlist and then you could draw that out Radius wise. So if you happen to need like ominous pipe organ music in say Curse of Strahd, you could do that. Yeah, and you could do it throughout the entire castle. So let me ask you so this sound it sounds really <laughs> cool. And when we talked about this in the past, I don't hey you and I had talked about it's kind of a pain in the ass in person unless you've got a good system and it might slow you down, blah blah blah. I think what you're describing here and there's it's like I guess with any other kind of sound setup, there's always, there's work you have to do. There's prep, like make sure you've got the right sounds. Are they keyed up? How are we going to use them? So on and so forth. Are you thinking this is more attractive to you now in a virtual tabletop because of that feature function that you just described versus would you want to do it in person? Yes, because, and you could do it in person. You could run Foundry like on, you know, these big LCD homemade gaming tables that people are making and then hook up an audio system. And as people move, the only problem with that is, is that as people move tokens around, it's going to trigger on a particular token. So if one token's in there and one token's not, how do you, whose token do you trump, right? Um, so I don't think it's as easy, easily done as it is now using a virtual tabletop like Foundry and everybody connects individually, which is another interesting topic on virtual tabletops. Yeah. So if I'm in near the fire talking to an NPC, right? I hear the fire. Somebody else is in the other room and they hear the chef and someone else is down the street and they hear the blacksmith sounds. Right. Yes. But you're interested in it because from a virtual tabletop perspective, it seems more built in, blah, blah, blah. Are you also thinking it's an immersion thing? Like, ooh, like really kind of draw the players? Yes. And I like it because once you set it, you can forget it. 
so I could run any group through there. Like the the system, the stuff's oh. not going to change, right? Oh, yeah. I so could, you've set Curse the map. The strat, boop. I run Jeff and the gang through there. I I I either make another world. I don't know if I can duplicate it, but regardless, if I wanted to use the exact same world, I just remove the Jeff tokens and stuff, or or limit the visibility of those, and I drop five more players into that. I don't have to recreate everything. It's all just by maps, right? I load the scene. It comes with a map. Brett goes into the tavern. Here's tavern ambiance. Yeah. So if I was doing a, a homebrew or type of thing using this type of a setup, virtual tabletop, I built it and it's repeatable. That's another cool thing, right? So I've got the tavern. I've got the mended drum or the copper cup or whatever it happens to be. And I've got the sounds and all the coolness to it. Great. Yeah, I could kick that off whenever I need it. Again, I could pull that map back out potentially. Interesting. Here's what you here's what you could do locally to to replicate it. Is you just have everybody at the table have it doesn't work really great on mobile devices. None of the virtual tabletops really do. But you could feasibly or or laptops or whatever. So tech at the table, which we did you know eons ago. You could actually say, I want everybody to bring their laptop because everybody that Brett knows probably has one. Bring your laptops, plop them at the table, and then bring earbuds. And everybody can connect to that Foundry virtual tabletop, and they can move their token, right? So they can, instead of, like, the table being, like, roll out the map, throw down the little monsters, Brett could have his laptop and organize it that way so the table is what they see on their laptop. So this is a in D&D them, land party. You're playing face-to-face. It's a D&D land party, yeah. And then what happens is if they move their token, like, okay, where are you, where are you? And you're looking at the you as the game master are looking at everything. If Zave goes, I'm going to go over here, great. And Lenny goes over there and there's different sounds that are keyed to those areas and they have their earbuds in, they will be able to immerse themselves into that. Um, and if you have a setup like mine, you could actually have a mic and you could just talk to everybody. So one of, the, one of the questions that Amazing Alex threw out there was, do you ever feel noise takes away from the focus of the game? And I think I would answer that with, I think it would at first. And here's what I mean. When Alpha first started running the Dungeon of the Mad Mage were in Undermountain and he had dynamic lighting. It was the first time we'd ever dealt with really dynamic lighting. When you move your character, if you have 120 foot dark vision, you can actually see 120 feet or only 30 feet. And it all varies. So as a light source, it drastically changed. Like, oh my god, it's awesome! And we—I think I talked about this on the show. We move around like knobs. Oh, 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 shit! Sorry, Alpha, I opened up too much of the map. Oh, I saw the goblins. I'm a dumbass. You know, so we had to correct ourselves. But now we're like, we're past that. It was new. Ooh, run around, which would be wonderful to do it like in a town. The first place you start was just innocuous. I go talk to the blacksmith. Ting, ting. Oh my God, that's amazing. I go talk to this person. Fish for sale. Oh, this is awesome. I go talk to this. Oh, they're playing a pipe organ. So it's like, if you have the place, you can run around like a knob, <laughs> kind of get it out of your system. I think the initial focus does suffer once that new shiny thing is dropped in. But once it becomes the norm, then it works. So at my... um at my World of Darkness game, for instance. So I started off with the sound of the projector. I went, ooh, that's kind of cool. Then I ran through a variation of uh, John Wick's Digging for a Dead God to start things off. So I played the jungle soundtrack with a weird noise, craziness, like, okay, that was cool. And then then I had a video to show them later, um, the Blackwater Gospel, which if you haven't seen it yet on YouTube, it's wicked brutal. Um, just, it, it fit perfectly. So I did that. 
handing out tarot cards and other things that they got in their hands, business cards, all sorts of shit, keys, craziness from there, like trying to piece it all together. At first it was like, what is this? But after a while, they're like, okay, pay attention to it because that sound, that effect, the thing Brett is handing to you matters. So they pay attention to it, but it's not all encompassing now. Now, if I hand somebody a prop and they've got it, they go, oh, interesting. And someone else goes, hey, um, am I with you? No, you're not with me. Okay. Well, I hope well, I hope you bring it with because my I would love to see that, but I don't want to bother you can, until we're in character. Or if there's a break and, hey, can I see that cool prop? So now they're dealing with it decently. And I think the same thing happens when noises, sound effects like this come into play. Whenever you put put them in there, at first, it's super, it can be, in my experience, super distracting with the people I, I've played with. Not just in my home group, but other folks I've, I pulled out for like, oh, wow, what is? And we get hung up on it. But once it becomes the thing, like, okay, this is part of it. I'm still paying attention. My ears are tuned into it. Because like, wait, what was that? Dunk, 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 dunk. Those are footsteps. I've heard the footsteps noise before. Okay, call the group together, whatever it is. People are paying attention. So I, I think it can take away, but a good group of players, the shiny will pass and they'll groove on it. I think it'll work. I agree that it is, it can be distracting as all hell for sure. And I think it has to be, in my opinion, I think it has to be subtle. Like if you, like there are times where you will play a role-playing game and not even hear the background music. I've had that actually happen. Holy shit, I didn't, I didn't even realize that there was sound in the background. Oh, that that music, right? I did, and it's been playing for an hour and the person never realized it because they're kind of dealing with what's going on, right? Great. And I think that's, that's kind of the key because if it's too loud, then it's too loud and obnoxious and it takes, it dis, it's just dis, it's, distracting. And if it's that's too the consistently problem, the right? same, which I have found, if it's on loop, the same underwater sound, the same blah, 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 it becomes white noise. And I don't notice it's there until you turn it off. I go, oh, fuck, it's quiet in here now. Where if it, yeah, it is, which is, that was a cool part about the uh, the soundtrack for Digging for a Dead God that John Wick put out, is there's a piece of it where it's just dead quiet. Now, I don't know if John meant that to happen, but there's a chunk where it's just dead fucking quiet. Nothing happens. As soon as it happens, everyone in the, my in next game room looks at me and goes, did it stop? I'm like, that's what you hear. So there's no birds, there's no sound, there's no rain, nothing? Nothing. That freaked them the fuck out more. And then something kicks back in later because I know the track. But that was disturbing as all, more disturbing than anything else. So I think the other component from taking away from focus of the game is that the effect that you want it to have, I think is nullified. I, I don't worry about the focus piece because like I said, the shiny thing happens, people get over it, they're done looking at the, at the sparklies. But the effect that you want it to have, I think you, you have a danger of it being less effective if you don't change it up, right? If it's the same sound all the time for a four-hour game session, nobody cares, in my experience. Whereas you're in the dungeon, you play the dungeon thing. As soon as they go out in the wilderness, you change the sound. They go to town, you play the town. They go to have a private one-on-one -on -one discussion with the mayor, you play the fireplace sound. That's what I do when I'm in person using, using that uh, iPad app. Works pretty well. And when I lay that out there, um, it's just, it just a, oh, I'm in the room. The fire started. So I'm in a one-on-one -on -one with the mayor talking about the problem in the mines. We're in the forest. You can hear the rain. You can hear the thunder. Something along those lines. 
if it's always the same, it doesn't work, which is why I'm personally not a big fan of musical scores because I suck at that. Where if I say, okay, you're in a dungeon, it sounds like a dungeon, or you're on a spaceship, it sounds like a spaceship, then you transition to the cantina and I can flip themes quickly, it works better for me. Um, the only time I've used sound effects that were music that worked were, again, back in my World of Darkness game, the guys went to a goth club. So I put on some old school KMFDM and Nine Inch Nails, and all my buddies are like, fuck yeah, this is, man. And it was like, oh, man, I miss these days. <laughs> you know, we all harken back to our 20s uh, suddenly, you know. But it was fun. Anyway, that's so that's where I'm at. Is I think if you're going to go into it, if it's the same thing on a loop, it loses its all effectiveness. It's cool for the first hour, and then it's white noise, and no one cares. That's how I see it. Yeah, and I think that the way that I like, if I were to have a choice about you know running something and then having background ambiance, is that it makes sense. So if somebody is sitting in a diner, then it's diner sounds that are very just random, and it it doesn't repeat for unless it's like a long. I I would prefer a longer track to repeat. Because the longer it is, and if you have it on loop, then it's not as monotonous than if you have something on 30 seconds in a loop. That's a huge uh, There's problem, one right? on the DMDJ app, um, and it's a, a a battlefield. Horses screaming and stuff happening. And there's this one horse scream sure. that after after the hour of combat, the guy's going, well, someone kill that horse. And they, it was out there, fucking horse, kill that thing. Because it, it took a while, but it, it, that horse noise repeated enough, it, it became kind of comical. But it was people were paying attention to it, and when the battle ended, I changed the theme, and it changed the tone because the shit happened and the shit ended, and by me changing the effect in person, just the tone, a different background ambiance, it went oh, there's no more fighting to do. Let's focus on something else. And I don't know if that. I think about it now, like, oh, I craftily manipulated my player's behavior. No, I just did it because I just wanted to say, and that's done, and we're moving on. Instead of holding up a card that said scene over or end, I just changed the music and said the battle is over, and then they moved on. So I, I think, though, in the virtual tabletop world, kind of like the um, what we talked about with online game screens and stuff, I think it can be fun. I think it's pretty handy, you know, if, if you want to put the time in. It's going to take some effort to do what you're talking about in Foundry. You're going to have to build the list and so forth. But man, if you if you like doing that shit, if you're like, man, I really want to use sound and I wish I knew, I, I, well, I wish I could have, it, it's, it's out there now. Those features, those functions are available to you. It's just going to take some work. Yeah, and I think there's also, I mean, I have a soundboard. We use it for the show and we'll have some links to some in uh, die roll. But those, that's another way that you can can roll. Like uh, I think on iPhone, I don't know if they have it for Windows, but it's like Boss Jack. So it so you go into the audio sphere. It doesn't have to be D and D audio or role play, tabletop role playing games. But if you have your own app that you find that can you could just push a button and it plays a particular file that you've uploaded. You could set it to loop or shuffle or add it to a playlist. Those can come in handy. Uh, which I ha haven't explored in depth in incorporating, but if I run Star Wars, it's something that I may want to just take one column out of my soundboard and dedicate it to sound effects like bleepy droids or uh, blaster fire. You know, oh, it's combat time, pew, pew. Right. 
you know, and it doesn't have to drone on. And of course, Star Wars is a lot of musical scores. It sets a tone. So it'd be probably some custom, some custom, like I would, you know, Vader's March, but would I want to play the whole thing? Maybe not. Maybe I play the first two minutes and then it fades and then it's, you know, the role-playing game. So there, I like, I like it, um, to some degree. I, I think you have to do it. I don't want, you have to do it tastefully, I guess. Well, there's, I don't know if there's that's overkill the right word, where but... you're spending so much time at the mixer. You're like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me tweet you. If you're basically fucking around with the sound more than you are gaming, that's when I used to like swapping tapes, trying to flip CDs. It was a pain in my ass, right? Um, where the, the digital age like this is getting a little bit easier. Um, the other way to do it that I that I like to kind of ease my way into it, or if I want it to be punctuations, right? where you're you're going you're going you're going and wham you really want to stick a exclamation mark on something is that one sound effect of the dragon breathing fire or the one sound effect of you found this really cool dark horrible sound you're like oh i love that oh that's the monster that's the monster's noise all right play that you hear this noise it sounds like what yeah that and i'm not gonna play this all night guys but it sounds like this and it's screaming in your ears and it sounds like that for an hour you can have that immediate exclamation point, boom, punctuation, this is what it is. You can step away from it, which, again, doesn't do the distraction point, to Amazing Alex's point. You don't have a, it, it, that doesn't distract, it actually refocuses. Because one's like, oh, that? When I flash an image on well, the, the TV in my buddy's game room, and it shows what the NPC looks like, everyone goes, look, that's what he looks like? Looks like Odin, where's his ravens? Jesus Christ, that? All right, wow. It changes the attitude of the group because they focus on the thing and they're using it for their discussion. Um, and the same thing with sounds. If you want to, you don't have to get the full sound effects, so on and so forth, like we talked about. You could even, in, in the table environment, you could drop it down to a punctuation of impact. Like, I want you to hear this is what the bad guy sounds like. This is what the undead sounds like. Or this is what the spaceship sounds like or whatever the case is. So... For those very kind of keeping on hand for those unique experiences, you really want to hammer home. It could be really good. Cool, man. Anything else? No, I think I th I think the f I mean this touches on the future of gaming and tabletop, but I see a time when you put on goggles and you look down at a table, or they don't even have to be there. And then everything's done that way. And then you have an earpiece. And then all this stuff can be you take the you take the foundry and you put it you put the monitor of the laptops I mentioned here. You know, and then Brett can, as a game master, dictate some of that stuff. Now people would say, Well, dude, what about I mean, why stop there or why not get to the hollow deck? And then you have a whole nother another experience. But that's not tabletop gaming to me. Like yeah, that, there's, that is there is we've a talked line. about this off the mics. There's going to be a point when I don't know if that's tabletop gaming anymore, kids. That's gonna come. You know, any and people even have that discussion now, um, in a way. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the hobby grows in that space because as you can get more multimedia for that immersion, that escapism component, it's gonna be interesting to see how it flies. Yeah, I mean tabletop simulator is another one. Um that the murder hobo show mentions in the chat, which I've seen, I've seen like from YouTube, but I haven't experienced it. And I know that's pretty, I mean, oh, VR is so cool. Like I was just blown away, 
But one of the things also with the uh, audio piece, which I'm about to lose my train of thought, was, shoot, uh, I don't remember, but, uh, <laughs> damn it, it was right in front was of me. Was it about quality, sound, depth, what? Oh, actual plays, like streamers playing role-playing games. It's, it's, it's. Like critical role, I mean, who am I to tell somebody that's had like a seven million dollar? You're doing it wrong. Could be better. They're getting like fifty thousand people or sixty thousand people watching them live stream on a Thursday night. Like, who am I to I, tell them? I get doing it. it wrong? I was really proud of the way Chris Nizak uh, did our um, actual play for Streets of Avalon. He added a little bit of sound, just the right bit of audio drama type noise. It was pretty cool. Just it's just punctuation stuff. I liked it. Yeah, and Chris did a really good job. And that's that is like tedious, time intensive bullshit. Yeah, I asked it him. Is. He said, "Was that hard?" He goes, "Oh, it was a pain in the ass, but I loved it." He said, "Cause it was fun." He said, "Cause I really wanted this to to work, and I think it really worked, and I'm really really happy with it." But still, it's work. It ain't easy. And he had to do it in post, uh-huh. so he has to listen to it in kind of real time. And if he doesn't, he could do it at like one point seven five speed, which I edit our show at. But you have to then stop, drop, drop whatever the effect is, and then replay it because you might, if you're at 1.75 speed, it may be missed by like off timing wise. Right. And, but at the same time, you know, Critical Role has, I mean, they've got audio people, they've got video people, they've got staff, they've got a company, right? Like Darcy Ross, congratulations, Darcy. She just oh, yeah, got hired right. by those yeah, guys. That's right. Yes. Right. And so they've got, resources and it's surprising to me when they're not going through their spiel if somebody says i open a door that somebody just doesn't push doesn't push the the door button like that's no, nothing that's, that's right old, school, full, like, that's old, old school full artist old school radio artist, man. man nbc yeah. dude you know you're tuning into whatever father knows best that's even late before that but you know oh it's you know like the old Coconuts, it's Foley. It's you know, the, Foley the horse clapping. That's the whole concept, yeah. That's right. That's right. But I think that, I mean, that's where I think there's some elements that can just be interjected. And in post, it's a pain in the ass. But if you do it live while you're recording, like, okay, Brett says, all right, I check the door and I see if it's locked. And if I had a third person that just sat over here and all he, was, he or she was supposed to do is just listen to the cues the players make and then they just hit buttons on a board... And then they put that out. I think that's it. Doesn't have to be no, radio it'd be drama. a little that's, extra razzle dazzle to spice it up a touch. A little just, bit. A little, just a Neat. little. I think it separates the the. It separates folks oh, a like little it. bit. So cool, yeah. man. Anyways, yeah. And I just got a bloody oh. nose. It's all that passion. <sighs> Not sure why. Well, I do know, but it's all that coke you're snorting. Dry and iron levels are co- probably low. All the coke. Anyways, <laughs> oh, I don't think I. Can, I don't think I can oh, do that. Uh, like, put no, crap no. on my nose. I like my my finger yeah. is about the limit. Third knuckle right? only. <laughs> yeah. And, wait, wow, Anyways. we that that went that went that went bad real fast. We got stupid in a hurry. Next on gaming and BS, we talk about yeah. drug abuse and the right, next. Let's let's move on. This is not good. All right. Yeah, so if you're using audio, we'd be interested to know how. And if you find it, if you've tried it and it hasn't worked, 
some of the obvious pitfalls we probably have heard, but if there's something like an epiphany you've had or something that really gels well with your group, we'd be interested in hearing about it. So let us know. Let's get into die roll. Die roll, 24 miscellaneous points came in geekery. We want to bring to your attention. We got a lot this week because I went and done some research and found some stuff I want to share with you. With you, Tina. So the first one is Adventure Tomes Kickstarter. This is what our uh, writer Jason was talking about. So link in the show notes to that. 21 days as of this recording date left in that sucker. So take a gander. That looks pretty cool. Yeah, and he wrote about it up above. Yes, you did. I'm pulling it up here. Um, it's pre it's a pre-written adventures that come with maps, dice, minis, and other sorted props. The adventures are 5e, but written with easy conversions in mind. It's a brainchild of a local game store owner in Huntsville, Alabama. An old gaming buddy of uh, Jason's now turned pro GM. His buddy Heath is doing the writing, and he's fabulous GM. So I have no doubt the adventures will be top-notch. So that was Jason's little uh, personal plea and uh, link out there for you folks. So Adventure Tomes and Kickstarter. Check that out. The next one is um, Mythic Table Virtual Tabletop. So another one out there for people to uh, check out. And uh, Mythic Table, there's an article, and then there is the actual link to the platform. Um, Supposedly, um, you could check out, I think, yeah. And then the feature, let me just put this. That's some cool-looking stuff. Yeah, more options, ladies and gentlemen. And then uh, Sirenscape. Uh, some of you are well aware of Sirenscape. It's it's out there for um, ambient noises, uh, D&D, sci-fi, fantasy. Uh, you download the app, and then you can overlay certain ones and turn up loops and turn down others. Did and you do the tabletop a, audio one? Or did you skip that one? It's Oh, I skipped right over that. Tabletop audio. Um I'm a patron of theirs, disclaimer, but I like theirs. And Tabletop Audio gets to download all their MP3s if you're a patron of his. And uh, they've got different ambiances and music uh, and combinations there. So not as many maybe effects, I think, but lots of different themes, which are really awesome. Um, very high quality stuff that, the, that he puts out. Uh, next one, D&D Compendium Lists of Sound and Audio Resources. Yeah, so this is one that's like... Um, it's got a co- comprehensive list of Spotify playlists. Wow. YouTube playlists. Um, ambiance ones. Wow. Tons of cool stuff. Soundboards, atmosphere. Basically, think of a uh, smorgasbord of uh, links for you to check out. Very cool. Uh, next one is the D&D Tomb uh, which is 53-plus curated encounter music playlist for your next D&D session. Um, that's interesting to go through and check out. We'll have a link next one to, like, Midnight Syndicate. Um, they did an actual D&D soundtrack uh, during the 3035 era, and they've subsequently put out, they're usually at Gen Con, have a booth, selling their CDs um, that they have, like, haunted album that's all haunted instrumental music so yeah um so if you want to check those guys out we'll put our link in the show notes there for to our affiliate link on amazon and then i jingle soundboard is what i use for the podcast it's ios only i believe 
and that's just a soundboard. I don't know what's out there for Windows. Like there's Boss Jack, and I think that's also on iOS. So I found a bunch of iOS stuff, but I'm not on Windows. So I know there's other Windows apps that you can just, you know, tune a uh, button to a sound and then hit those sounds. If you got little speakers or wireless speakers at your table, and you can just boop, boop, boop. Or if you've got an audio interface, you can just hit buttons like that when I play the show that, you know, play when you just push the buttons, um, which can come in handy. And then Brett will put a link to the DMDJ in the uh, die roll as well. Otherwise, that's it. Um, So next week... Brett Stir is not going to be around, so we're going to skip the audio week. I will be here on Twitch at 8 p.m. Monday night, uh, Central Time U.S., and I will either do some session prep, maybe I will just be chatting, and people are welcome to come into the chat room, and we'll just fire up a conversation. Um, but then the following week after Brett's all done getting dirty in the woods— what are we okay, going to talk, talk about, about what Brett? I'm learning from running AD&D again. Now that it's like, it's, it's, uh, I'm running an actual campaign in Greyhawk, as I talked about. I wanted to uh, kind of chat through, huh, some uh, things. I'm, we're coming back to this after running a lot of 5e, Pathfinder, World of Darkness, Call of Cthulhu, different things, you know, with big skill lists and all that stuff. I kind of want to, this goes into some of what you talked about with failure and stuff. And I want to chat this through, like, you know, how people panicked when like, wow. We're doing actual experience points here, huh? And, uh, wow, I, I don't level as fast as... Oh, I got a level! What does that do? You get extra points. That, that's it? Oh, interesting. <laughs> so, anyway, part and parcel of the discussion at the time, but that's what I'll be chatting about. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, you said it like so you mean it. So, great. Yeah, man, it's going to be fun. I, I'm interested to know, like, oh, so you guys are running segments and all that other weapon speed and that, all that good that, stuff. That's, I just, yeah, that's kind of what I want to talk about. Like, what did we what did we do? What did we decide? Oh, fuck, no, we're not doing that or whatever. So we'll all go right, through it. Excellent. Uh, thanks for everybody that tuned in, joined us live here on Twitch. Like I said, we um, stream Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central Time U.S. Feel free to join us. Our chat is uh, great. Uh, thank you for everybody for joining. You see this on YouTube smash the like button and uh, subscribe if you would. Otherwise, you can find us on your favorite podcatcher of choice where you can subscribe as well. Thank you so much everybody for Gaming NBS. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming NBS produced with help from the following BSers. Grand Miner, Corey Wynn, Craig Shipman, AWOL Trooper, Quigley Malcolm, Larry House, Obscurus Dominus, Isaiah Aries Christian, Duke in Purple, Jay Plata, Phil McClory, $1 Adventure Frameworks, Jason Weeb, Eric Frankhouse Presents, Daniel Garrett, Jim Ingram, Curtis Hinson, Rory Weston, Mike Hess Jr., Ghost GM, Mark Soam, Hoos Carl, Eric Tavola, Henry Newcomb, Melissa Bishinsky, Harrigan, David F. Baylog, Brian Rumble, Jeff Goad, Nile Diamond, Corey Gonzalez, John Kayward, Jeff Seifert, Andy Olson, Eric Avia, Perry Besor, Larry, Laramie Wall, Brian Kurtz, Robert Nemeth, George Sedgwick, Eric Salzweedle, Angus, Howard Bishop, Craig Sky, Thomas Hook, Ro Mark Richmond, Ron Bishop, Larry Hout, Old Scouser Roleplaying, Jim Fitzpatrick, Ray Otis, Jared Rasher, Stefan Dragonspawn, Roger Brasslett, Craig Huber, C.W. Mellencamp, Dan LaValle, Pure Mongrel, Mark DeSaka, Jason Hobbs, Chris Steele, Andy Hall, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, 
Old School DM, Ed Nyes, Adam Grojohn, Josh Wallace, Chad Glayman, Corey Welch, Brett Pazinski, Rich Wishon, Mirko Froelich, Aaron Relia, Curtis Takahashi, and Joe Swick. Hey, I don't know if you are aware of this, but we do have our own online community and forums. Head over to forums.gamingandbs.com. Introduce yourself. Partake in the RPG conversation that's going on over there. We'd love to see you. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. Oh, oh shit, sorry, Alpha, I opened up too much of the map. Oh, I saw the goblins, I'm a dumbass.